0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bof, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bof to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bof.
3: So why? Does this industry need a dedicated platform for modest fashion?
4: We need to create something amazing for this woman who has not been spoken to. It's not about the lack of availability of product, it's the fact that this woman has to go through hundreds of products to find what it is that she's looking for.
3: How did the brands respond to your pitch in the first instance?
4: We had 75 brands. Coming on board with us just on the basis of the concept. When you see the response of customers, the people that matter really, and you see the way this resonates and how they come back to you, you just know that there is something there and that, you know, the funding will come, the growth will come. It's it's about just, you know, focusing on, on the right things.
3: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion, and welcome to Inside Fashion on the BOF podcast. Every now and then I come across an entrepreneur who really makes an impression on me. And that's the way I felt the first time I met Gislaine Genes, the founder of The Modest. Now, for those of you who have been following the rise of modest fashion, you may have come across Ghislaine and her path-breaking website and e-commerce proposition. But as Gislan explains in this conversation, modest fashion has expanded far beyond the idea of traditional or religious dress in the Middle East. It is now an aesthetic movement that has moved beyond the idea of religious dress to incorporate a more conservative aesthetic that has become popular all over the world and it is an industry that Ghislaine says is worth billions of dollars a year. But how do you go after that market? Who are the customers and where is this market going in the future? Here is the founder of the modest, Ghislaine Genes, Inside Fashion. Well, good morning, Gisland Good morning. Good Welcome morning. to BOF headquarters here in London. Thanks How long for are having you in me. town for this time?
4: I actually leave in, in a day. In a day. I've been here for about a week though, so this okay. is the end tale of the trip.
3: Well, uh, thank, thank you for popping in to see us. For having um, me. ever since you and I met a few months ago, I have been fascinated by the business you built and thank your you. story and, you know, and I thought it was a really valuable opportunity today to talk to you a little bit about this phrase that we keep hearing modest fashion you know mm-hmm. t- you know, you hear all of these like market statistics about the market is booming and you hear all of you know about you know how important the middle east market is but when you and i sat down and spoke for the first time actually what was most interesting was actually how broad the definition of modest fashion is true how Actually, maybe the view that's out there in the market is very narrow. Can mm-hmm. you... So can we start by actually helping... Helping our listeners understand the way you see modest fashion and how sure. you define it? Sure.
4: Um, so when... People um, talk to me about modesty or want a definition of modesty. We usually say that we don't define it because it's such a wide spectrum. And it ranges from a woman who's completely covered, whose face is covered, can't see anything, all the way to someone who's more moderate in in their modesty. But uh,
3: Moderate modesty
4: as in you know the conservative the conservatism mm-hmm. of how modest you are and how stringent you are with the parameters within which you dress varies right so you know i have friends who are very particular about the length of sleeves the length of the hems the coverage of the neckline and then you've got other people who are less stringent about that and i think it goes back to why you dress modestly some people do it for religious reasons some people do it because they love the aesthetic some people find it um, age-appropriate some women um, do it because they want a longer sleeve so it really really is broad and um, we have taken an approach at the Modest, or have um, decided on a space in that spectrum that kind of transcends the cultures and the religions and is more just about fashion and is about giving this woman um, the functionality that she is looking for.
3: But clearly, Ghislaine, the core of modest fashion roots in religion, right? Mm-hmm. It roots in a tradition and culture from the Middle East. Can you talk about the way you grew up and just help us understand? I think there's all these misconceptions about modesty even within the context of Islam. Like what what is actually the interpretation of, you know, rules or, you know, ideologies from the Quran or from the Islamic faith? And how does that then kind of manifest in this spectrum? Cuz even within Islam, there's different ways of showing your modesty.
4: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about stereotypes is that you know, it is not necessarily not true, but it's just part of the story. So when we talk about it being rooted in Islam, that is true, but also when you think of Judaism and Christianity, and there are a lot of similarities around, you know, the way um, women who practice kind of, you know, dress and and cover. And I grew up in in the Middle East, and I grew up in a uh, family of women, of Muslim women who, Some of them practiced and covered their head. My mother wears the hijab and some of them... Even till today. Yeah, my mother wears the hijab and loves fashion and she's always loved fashion. And it was actually one of the reasons that, you know, I thought about this is because, you know, she's started wearing the hijab around 25 years ago. And before that, she didn't. And she's always loved fashion and continued to love fashion. And suddenly, because she decided that she was going to practice, you know, even further she felt that she was Excluded of that world, and suddenly the shopping experience became so frustrating, time-consuming, um, and and a little bit alienating because it was it was hard for her to find something that she that was relevant to her from that from that perspective. I on the other hand did it for a different reason. I worked in finance for about thirteen years. I uh, had to dress in a conservative way, but I hated the navy or black suit, so I wanted to find something fashionable but also conservative. And then that grew to become my aesthetic and my kind of style of preference. So it's, it really does vary, you know, right. across, across uh, women.
3: So when you were working in finance, mm-hmm. I think 14 years in finance, mm-hmm. you are saying that part of the reason that you landed on this modest aesthetic was less to do with your religion and more to do with the fact that you had to yeah. dress conservatively at work. Correct. Have you found in your development or understanding of the market um, that there's that's actually a real. Um, segment of the population. Are there other women like you working in finance who have to dress?
4: 100% and in so many different industries. I mean, I'm now in fashion and I'm just expressing myself because you're kind of, you know, you've got all these barriers that are out and you can yeah. just be and dress in any way you want. But really there are so many industries where you're, it's more stringent and you're more, you know, you work within parameters. And so, uh, yes, indeed working in a particular place does kind of, you know, uh, lead you to dress a certain way and oftentimes it is a more modest way Mm -hmm. that is work appropriate and that's one of the women we speak to and that's when we think about the women that we're addressing through our site. It's... a professional women a woman it's um, you know a woman of a certain age it's a religious woman of fates it's uh, a curvy woman maybe who prefers a longer sleeve and or it's someone who just likes the aesthetic
3: and that's what I did want to talk about there's a growing trend of modesty on mm-hmm. the catwalk I mean when I think about it I think back to Valentino as being maybe The brand that really brought it into the aesthetic mainstream with those really long sweeping dresses and the long sleeves Mm -hmm. and you've seen that aesthetic emerge as a trend but it seems to have endured It, it seems to have lasted so that there's still a lot of that kind of really that aesthetic and you know Maria Grazia does it at Dior still and there's still a bit of that at Valentino but you see it in other brands as well
4: yeah so I think with Valentino it's more of a DNA that we've seen now for a while so it's almost not a not a trend it's almost it's it's them it's the personality it's Valentino but you're you're absolutely right it's been a macro trend for for a while now and I think I think the reason for that is a little bit of a number of different things. I think there is definitely um, an expression that we're seeing in fashion and in the runways around what is happening in the world, whether it's um, politically, whether it's the conversations we're hearing, whether it's you know the dialogue around women and all of that and express and, and the presentation of Too that movement. Me Too movement, the Women's March, Times Up, all of these conversations around women. And it's funny because when we started working setting up the modus it took us a year, that was twenty sixteen. And then early twenty seventeen, I mean we launched on International Women's Day on March twenty seventeen. And just in the leading up to that, seeing what was happening in the world and those conversations around around women and how women were speaking up in a way that created, you know, what was happening in in on the runway. I remember the women's march. And do you remember that poster of the hijabi woman who had the American flag? Yes, of course. And I mean, yeah. that was happening there. And we were creating something that, right, it was not necessarily just for Muslims, but It is the first thing you think of when you think of modesty. So that's happening. Then Halima Aden walks the runways of Milan and and Paris and, and all of that. And it's that embracing of diversity that women and people were reacting with that I think translated to fashion and it created an amazing moment for us to launch because the timing was so perfect but it's definitely I think an, a reaction to what's happening in
3: the world sure that is fascinating so now we've established that modest fashion isn't only for Muslim women in the Middle East mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a much wider global movement we've established that there are customers that are interested in this kind of aesthetic, that might need it for professional reasons, and of course that might want to dress that way for their own religious preferences or practice. So tell me about the conception of the business. Because there are so many e-commerce platforms out there now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you know, going way back to Net-A-Porter and the kind of pioneering content and commerce model mm-hmm. created by Natalie Massenet,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know. There's, a, there's so many. So why does this industry need a dedicated platform for modest fashion when you can buy those Valentino gowns and those, you know, those modest looks in other places?
4: Well, because, because it started to solve a problem. Because I was that customer and my mother was that customer and my best friend and many women that I knew were that, where you know the customer that needed that platform, and and that is really why you know the reason behind starting the Modest, and you know when I when I first decided to, or I started thinking about it many years ago, but when I started really working on it, I spent six months on the road, speaking to women from from Riyadh to Istanbul to London to New York, just traveled for six months and calling friends and asking them to bring their friends who either dress this way day in and day out or. One once a week for whatever reason and the reaction that I got from from them on a proposition like this and speaking to them about what frustrates them what is it that they're not finding what is you know what is their ideal shopping experience what is the issue um, has been so informing and just validated every you know piece of information I had about how broad the market is and how needed this is. Because you it's it's not about the lack of availability of product. It's the fact that this woman has to go through hundreds of products to find what it is that she's looking for, whether she's online or offline. And the fact that there isn't a well there's a lack of product that exists for her. There's a lack of inspiration and styling that is offered to her, there's a lack of content that is relevant to her. And so what we do is from beginning to end, we speak to her in a relevant uh, manner. And I think that, you know, being more personalized in in the way you offer an experience is something that is increasingly becoming, you know, relevant. And, uh, and, And there's a massive audience from Asia to Europe to the Middle East, To America of this woman and yet there isn't a dedicated platform that speaks to her in a relevant way in every every part of the experience so you launched
3: on International Women's Day Mm -hmm. in March of 2017 but you can you tell us a bit about the run-up to kind of launching this business and unveiling it to the world and you know what it took to make everything happen because setting up an e-commerce site I think you're, you split your time between London and yes. Dubai, is yeah. that right? Yeah. You know, tell me about the launch process. What did that require?
4: <laughs> I mean, it took us about a year. And, uh, well, to go back a little bit, I was, I was in a job for 13 years in finance, but my role was very hybrid. And I was not in the investment team. I was in a part that was called, or a department called the stakeholder engagement, which was in that world of private equity, building partnerships with strategic platforms, World Economic Forum, art platforms, very, very interesting and a very enriching role. But I came out after 13 years thinking, I know a little bit of everything and I'm good at it, but I don't have an expertise and I'm almost unemployable. Like what do I look for right now? Because it's such a, you know, a, a
3: hybrid role. So had you chosen to leave your role before you came up with the idea of the modest? No,
4: no, I was thinking about it, Okay, but I think the fact that my head was telling me that you're not gonna find something, you know, similar to that, or it's not, you know, you. It's so hard. You don't have a particular expertise when I mean, you have transfer transferable skills, but is is one of the reasons that made me go and do this and start the business. Is that you know this is it. This is what you need to do. Um, and so anyway, started in 2016. Connected with my my first person at the time who was consulting with me, who's now my fashion and, and buying director. That's who, Sasha. That is Sasha. Mm-hmm. Um, who who really introduced me to to. That That world of of fashion because I've always loved it and I was always fascinated but just as a a woman a customer someone who enjoyed you know seeing what was happening on the runways but um, but uh, yeah that was the beginning of it and then very quickly um, the team was built the infrastructure, the technology. Um, our business is a little bit of an anomaly in that it started as a big business. So all of a sudden, we've got you know a big team, a warehouse. How many people are We're you? We're about
3: fifty. right now like how do you split the roles between london and dubai
4: um not i mean it's it's a little bit organic but we have our own brand um and that team sits here and we've got you know sasha also sits here our buying and fashion director and i go between the two the majority of the team is in dubai and that's where the operations are
3: so 50 people after about a year and a half Mm -hmm. that's very rapid growth how did you it's all how, rapid yeah. in our how whole world. have you been <laughs> financing and, and kind of inve- like getting the capital to you know buy all of that inventory, hire mm-hmm. that big team. What's the fundraising process been like?
4: I mean, at the outset, it was my investment, family, and friends put into it for the for as long as we could do that, and then um, we went through a round of fundraising, basically. But um, but the, the the whole idea to me was not about you know just going big and, and creating something massive. We could have you know started in the UAE and doing you know great little business that was you know doing interesting things, but. To me, it was more around the vision of, we need to create something amazing for this woman who has not been spoken to, and who has been given less than average propositions to kind of give her a long sleeve or a long hem, and that would work. But the reality is that she has the buying power, she has the taste, and she is, you know, an available customer who needs to be spoken to. And so it was around really, um, you know, it was around the, 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 the whole the whole experience that was that you know was that she deserved basically.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So when you spoke to investors, what was it about this business that they were interested in?
4: A lot of things, actually, a lot of things. The the brand itself that stood for for a lot, that had a strong purpose behind it. We speak about modesty, but the reality is that we're about choice, and and we feel strongly about the fact that exercising your choice is is very empowering. Whether you want to cover or whether you want to to bear, and so you know that is that is one element, and the other element is that we do. And I'm going to use a buzzword. But we are very much about diversity and inclusiveness, and this is one of the reasons that we have gone and transcend, transcended beyond, you know, faith and religion and culture, and just gone to just bringing modesty and fashion together. So the brand and 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 that was was a very interesting thing to investors because the way that you connect with your community and your customers and the loyalty you get for being authentic and for standing for something is, I think, invaluable. And then there was also So obviously, you know, the commerciality of the business and the fact that this was a completely and is an untapped market.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per
0: month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Okay, it's a
4: massive market.
3: Give us a sense of the scale of the market because I've, I've read all of these figures yeah. and all of these reports and yeah. Sometimes I find it all very spurious. Yeah. But like can you guys what, what are the most kind of accurate robust Data that you can give us on this market.
4: So we did so of course I mean there are the numbers we've all seen two hundred and sixty billion dollars of you know the the Muslim fashion um market and then you've got, you know, the market of curvy women in the U.S. and women over a certain age in the U.S. and and all of these numbers in the hundreds of billions. We did a little bit of a market sizing on around 15 countries that are relevant to us and the market there uh, with a number of parameters and the market for us there was about five, six billion
3: dollars alone and that's
4: super conservative just us, you know, thinking about the women that we
3: speak to. At at the high fashion level.
4: Yes, in the luxury space. Layering in everything else that you know is relevant to us, so that's super conservative, focused, and only in 15 out of what 140 countries. And if you think world.
3: about it, I think the total revenues of uxnet aporte is two billion euros, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So that does give you a sense of the scale.
4: Yeah, it's 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 huge. I wanted
3: to get a sense now of some of the challenges that you might have faced in setting up this business. Uh, every entrepreneur myself included, mm-hmm. faces challenges. It's kind of part of the entrepreneur's <laughs> journey, as yeah. it will. What's been the hardest bit for you?
4: I mean, there is just so much. <laughs> that we could be here for many, many hours, run. and then this turns turns to a therapy session, which I don't mind. But um, I think one of the... It's, it's equal parts exciting and exhilarating and... and crazy draining is the amount of learning that happens and i find that you're or at least in my case i was most of the time outside of my comfort zone 50 60 of the time i'm outside of my comfort zone whether i'm you know, speaking to an investor for the first time or whether I'm, you know, looking at, I don't know, my PL or whether I'm s- managing my senior team or whatever it is, speaking publicly, you're constantly outside your comfort zone, needing to network with people, being introduced to a new industry. It's all of that. And, yeah. I mean, the, the way your brain works at the time, I i, I would love to, to see that, you know. But, um, but at the same time, that's the most exciting part of it and the growth that happens in your character and and the kind of you know strength I think is incredible because you think you can't take it anymore and then suddenly something else happens and you think oh okay that was not too bad
3: so let's be a bit more specific yeah because the whole point of doing a podcast Mm. is to tell stories that people can learn from has there been a moment when you just weren't sure this was going to work and how did you get through that
4: God, were there moments? I mean, there are moments when you feel for sure that, I mean, it's like you're hit in the stomach and, oh my God, what is this? So and
3: tell us about a moment, Ghislaine.
4: I think probably when you're fundraising right. are the times when you're most wondering whether you're going to get through this or not. And I think whether you're the most successful business or, or not you're not everyone's cup of tea, right? right. And so, and, and I How think... How many
3: times did people say no to you?
4: Oh, many times. Many times and for so many reasons. And now that I know what I know, I think, my God, you had no clue. You were asking me questions that yourself. were not... You yourself. Yeah, like you... No, but also, I found, actually, sadly, that many investors sometimes don't understand your business. And so just throw at you questions that are not relevant to your business, but you don't know at the time. And so you go back. I and see. You, you know, you try and figure out and that was you know one of the things but luckily and in hindsight we found the people that are just so aligned with us and what we're doing and and with our vision and where we take the business that we're in the right place right now but those I think were you know some of the moments but but I've always honestly through it all knew that It's going somewhere because when you see the response of customers, the people that matter really, and you see the way this resonates and how they come back to you, you just know that there is something there and that, you know, the funding will come, the growth will come. It's, it's about just, you know, focusing on, on the right things.
3: What about the reception of the industry, right? So when you started talking to brands and I think you launched with something like 75 brands. Precisely. Um, yeah. you're you're sitting down with like these big brands that don't necessarily fully understand the market like you do, like, and they're also protective about where they're stocked and how that who they're associated with, and what the communication is. Mm -hmm. How did the brands respond to your pitch in the first instance? And how receptive have they been to kind of adapting and creating product that's that's right for this market. Yeah.
4: I mean, that actually has been the most encouraging, one of the most encouraging parts of this journey because we went out in June 2016. With no business, with a, a deck, a very good deck, and very well, you know, thought through. Um, but we had nothing up and running. We had no site. We had nothing, and we had obviously to get the stock in order to, you know, start the business. And we spoke to many brands, and 95% of the brands said yes, including big brands like Marni and Alberta Fretti, and uh, and all the way to you know Zoo and, and Peter Pilotto, and we had 75 brands coming on board with us just on the basis of the concept. And granted, we had done a lot of work, a lot of research, and and we'd showed them a vision with a lot of images around what our view of modesty was. And I think that was the point that excited them is because the beginning of every conversation would always be so what is modesty? Is it an abaya? Is it a a head cover? Yeah they
3: thought you were gonna ask them to do like logo printed, you know, abayas, (laughs) right?
4: Probably that was the at the outset, but then the minute you start showing them that actually you're surrounded by it, you just don't identify it as that, um, and that you know this is this is how your brand can be represented in this world, and you're basically you know now going to connect to a whole you know world of customers who love your brand but it's not necessarily going to be sensible for you to do it you know directly with them because you probably have a bigger fish to fry then they get actually really excited especially when you're talking to designers and you start speaking to a particular woman that they start envisaging and and understanding it becomes so much um, it becomes just a, a an exciting conversation. And we've had a lot of brands and designers work with us on customization, on capsule collections. The minute you tell them about the woman, they get it and and they create for her.
3: Sure. The other big part of your model and any kind of e-commerce model is content. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a really interesting content strategy. Um, you have a magazine that you put out. yes. How does the content you create differ from say Vogue or Bazaar in in the Middle East or you know the content that one would find on that Porte or matches like what is it that you at the modest can bring to that customer that she's not getting from other fashion publications or other e-commerce retailers
4: right so the content as you said was really part of the business from from day one I mean it wasn't something that was added at some point or an afterthought but um, but it was important because there's there's a lot about this space that needs to be understood and there's a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes and there's no better way to change that than content Ecom just doesn't do that and um, and the the content that we do a is very relevant to the woman from the aesthetic point of view, so all our editorials and styling are done beautifully and always modestly, of course, um, but also we speak about women of substance. I mean, we've had women in our diversity of women in our in our magazine from Linda Rodden, who is the amazing, you know, 70-something-year-old uh, who built an amazing, you know, beauty business looking uber cool in, in the magazine, I mean, sick cool, um, to, you know, Sinead Burke, who you've had on your cover, um, who's, again, talks incredibly about about diversity and about inclusiveness, um, to um, Candice Huffin, and, and so on. So it's about the diversity of the women that you see there. It's about their stories, and it's about celebrating women and celebrating modesty and, and what we do. And I think that's the point of difference.
3: Okay. Um, The last thing I just wanted to touch on quickly was the wholesale model, Mm. because when you look at what's happening in the fashion market, in the the fashion industry, there is a shift away from wholesale and your business ultimately is a wholesale business. Right. Mm -hmm. You also have your own label. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about, you know, because, you know, you're facing in a way a similar challenge mm-hmm. as many wholesale e-commerce retailers are facing, you know, and you see Matches and net and Ukes and all of these businesses playing around with the idea of own brand. Can you give us a sense of, you know, the role of own brand in your business and what you think is happening in wholesale? So the
4: own brand has been part of the business thinking from from day one, and that's because there is a clear gap in the market in, in this space. We know it because we go out there, we buy, and we see that sometimes there's a whole category that I can't select from, I can't curate from, and it's very relevant to this woman, and yet it does not, you know, it does not work for her because of the parameters. Um, and so that is one thing we now have data so we understand what she's looking for We're doing more of that and there is just you know an intuitive understanding of what it is that she's looking for And so own brand has always been a big part of the strategy and the thinking of the business And it's something that we launched earlier You know if we we've, we launched our first brand earlier this year and has been doing phenomenally well And it's something that of course we continue to grow um, The wholesale I completely agree with you and that is an area in our business where whilst I can't say much about it, it is a place where we're thinking very differently around how we're going to to do it and how we we shift that. And part of it could be, you know, thinking about data, part of it could be, you know, collaborating
3: with, with, with the brands and the designers
4: on, on you know how we do things, but, but we do think about it, we're thinking about it very differently. Yeah,
3: because the fundamental economics mm. of an in of a brand. Uh, own brand and the and the economics of a wholesale model are really different Mm -hmm. right so both of them require significant investment because with the own brand there's the whole fixed cost of setup of a team and you know that that it just you can't start that Mm -hmm. without a you know significant amount of capital and it takes time for you know that to bed in and to build a real following and to do that do that at scale but if you can get that to work at scale It can be really really profitable on the other hand with wholesale um that's easier to scale up but you have to invest every season in in the cash flow required to you know get the inventory hold that inventory and then sell it later so you know know, you're from a finance background so I, i know you've been thinking about this like how 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 have you how do you kind of balance those two things?
4: But you know you said you said something interesting at the beginning around private label or you know own brand and and the amount of time it takes to invest in it. But if you put it in the right environment and you've already created that environment, sure. then you're really catapulting the whole thing. You know right. at the outset, and I think that's what we saw in what we did with with layer with our own brand. Um, granted that it's you know very thought through. It you know thinks about the woman. It gives her the right. Um, aesthetics and, and functionality and and you know all of that so it's doing all the right things but it's also put in the right environment so
3: so could you see a day when the own brand business could be bigger than the wholesale now business? Now you're
4: talking about my strategy in four or five years, and I'm not going to give that away. Okay, but I can tell by
3: the sparkle <laughs> but, in your eye that... But
4: no, it's. let's just say that it is an integral part of the business. It's not an afterthought, and it's definitely not just a nice to have. It is a part of the business that we put a lot of thinking, a lot of time into. It is needed out there, and um, and yeah, that's how we look at it. And if there's one
3: final you know, message that you would like to share with our listeners about modest fashion, because our listeners for the BOF podcast, um, they come from all over the world. They represent every facet of the fashion industry. What is the one thing that the wider industry needs to understand about this space?
4: I think that the one thing is that it's much broader than you think, and that probably what you stereotype it to be is one facet of it. It's which is generally, you know, Middle East, Muslim. That is one part of modesty, but there is a broad array of women who dress this way for multiple reasons and who love fashion, and that it can be just as cool and stylish and fashionable as anything else that you see
3: out there. Okay, well, Ghislaine, thank you for taking the time to illuminate our thinking on this opportunity. It's so fascinating for me um, sitting here where I do to see all the different facets of fashion that are changing. And it's really interesting to see how, you know, the growth of the market in the Middle East, the rise of the women's movement and the growing need for kind of providing things that enable people to be who they are, are kind of coinciding in your business model. To, to kind of catapult it to, to growth and success. And I wish you, thank you. all the best. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for your time. Thanks and for having me. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. That's all for Inside Fashion this week. But you can always be sure there's more to come for us next week. So please stay tuned. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review, share it on social media. Um, put a comment into our Apple review section so we can share this podcast more widely with all of you around the world. Bye.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.